So hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And the New Testament starts out with four books of the Bible, and then the fifth is Acts, which if you don't know what Acts means, it's not like an, a physical Acts. It's, it's the Acts of the Apostles, or others would say the title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get in there. Right is where the church kind of begins to uh, expand, uh, grow, and, and blow up. But before that, God says something, or Jesus says something very specifically to the disciples. And so I wanted to share with you, um, this message in our topic is called, When God Says Wait. Because there are seasons in our life where God tells us to wait, and, and we think we just need to sit and, and wait for the green light and for him to uh, move us forward. But waiting is a very intentional biblical process. Um, and when John taught, uh, I think three, four weeks ago now, when he was talking about some of the changes, the transition between him and I, one of the things he, he talked on was he shared a, a time where Shauna and I actually thought we were going to be headed up to a new church. Um, we thought we were going to be headed up to Christ the King in Linden. Um, and I was going to take a position um, kind of doing what I was doing in Mount Vernon, but on a larger scale. And so everything really seemed appealing in this transition. We were going to head up. I mean, it meant a bigger income, a better budget. It meant that I would have about two to three staff underneath me just to focus on youth and college, to build a college ministry from the ground up and to, to walk into a youth ministry of 350 students already established. So like everything looked good about this idea. Everything looked good about this, about this new ministry venture. And everyone was thinking, man, everything points to yes. Why don't you go? And I didn't feel the yes. I mean, everything looked good. And, and you know, if, if it's all good, then God must be in it, right? And that's sometimes how we often think. And for me, I just, I kind of wrestled through that. And so I really went into a season of God telling me to wait. But before that, it just seemed very confusing and, and all signs pointed to yes. And so, I mean, if Sean and I had said yes, we'd be in Linden right now. Um, and for me, as I was walking through this, this process of making my decision, I didn't feel like God was giving me an answer. Um, and I feel like sometimes, like all the time, it feels like God answers prayers in yes, no, or not right now. Um, and I wasn't hearing any response from God. And I continued to pray. And, and I remember sitting down at, uh, at our house on the couch and, and opening up to Psalm 25. Because since, I've, um, since I was 13 years old, um, just to give you some background, since I was 13 years old, I have followed the psalm that is my age. And here's why. Because when I was 13, nothing was working well. I mean, I grew up in a ministry family. We uh, showed up at this new church. I could not plug in. There weren't many young people. I felt isolated. I felt alone. I mean, there was, I felt like there was nothing I can do, and God had forgotten me. Like, there, God remembered everyone but me, and I just struggled with that. I felt isolated. And so in, in a time of, of just deep emotion and feeling super alone, I went to Psalm 13. And it opens up by saying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? And I started really feeling what the psalmist was feeling. And of course, you know, the psalmist then, his name is David. So I'm like, I'm really feeling what you're feeling. Um, and so we got a lot in common here. And, and, and also the psalmist David was a musician. So I'm like, bro, we keep having more in common here. 
And I keep reading, and, and he's going, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to leave me alone? How long? And this just keeps moving and moving me more towards going, yeah, God, what is up? Why are you leaving this guy alone? Why are you leaving me alone? And then the psalmist turns his song, his psalm, in a new direction. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. Even in the midst of this season, even in the midst of this struggle, I'm going to trust you. And I didn't have that part of, this, of, of the psalm down. Because I was all gung-ho and, and on his side until he said, but God, even if you don't answer, I'm still going to trust you. And so from that point on at age 13, every single year, I have kind of carried that psalm as a theme over my life continue to study it, pray through it, learn it, grow in the midst of it. It's, it's been an incredible, wonderful challenge and, and, and beautiful thing that God's walked me through. And, and when we were facing this change, this, this, uh, this new season, possibly headed off to Linden, I sat down and opened to Psalm 25. So last year when I was 25, just in case you forgot that piece. And I just began to read through and I remember asking God, God, I want to choose the way that you want. I don't want to choose the way that I want. Because there's been many times in my life where God has placed great opportunities um, that had great financial stability before I got into ministry. I mean, I sat down with the manager of, of the IT place I was working with, and he said, listen, if you stay longer, I mean, we'll, we'll fix you up. Good money, staff underneath you. Uh, you'll get a company car. I mean, like all these really cool things. And I went, no. I'm going to go make nothing and go back into ministry. <laughs> and, and it seemed crazy. But I think God really calls us to that because it's all about obedience. And so I started reading Psalm 25 and going, God, would you speak to me? Would you just give me a word and clarify? And so I started reading Psalm 25. And of course, I have it all marked up in my Bible. Because verse 1 says, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. So it began with trust. And then I read verse three, and it says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Okay, so none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And then in verse four and five, it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse five says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Are you catching a theme here? And then in verse 12, it says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Who's the guy who's got the healthy fear, the honor and the reverence of the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. And then it got personal. And in verse 21, it says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And I'll be honest with you, church, everyone around me thought I was crazy. Because I said, we're going to wait. And then the church came back and said, you know what? We really have just spent some time in prayer, and, and we're, we're, we're kind of in a season of transition, and, and we just feel like God's saying, wait. And man, did God just then fully clarify that the next season of my life would be a season of waiting. And so I want to share with you this morning um, a piece of a, of a message, some things that I had learned in the season of waiting, and here's, what, here's where I think we often struggle with waiting is because we get excited. We, we think that waiting is just that I need to sit, I need to stay, I need to not move anywhere. And, and that's rightfully so in, in some context because 
when, when we hear one of the last things that Jesus tells the disciples, he gives them the great commission, right? He says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them all I've commanded you. Remember, I have authority in heaven and on earth. And so he tells the disciples, go, right? He says, go make disciples, be in gospel-centered community, be about changing the world. And if you read the book of Acts, that's literally what, the, what they did. The religious leaders, in fact, said, these men are turning the world upside down. But here's the thing that's really interesting is before they went forth to make disciples, before they went out, Jesus said something to them that I, I think they almost were taken back. They, they didn't really see Jesus' response coming. When Jesus sits with them on one of the last times, he sits with them and he says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. And I mean, if you can imagine being there with Jesus as he has, has come back in new flesh, and you're going, man, I'm excited, let's go, let's go for this, let's go forward, and, and he says, I want you guys to wait. I mean, think of their reaction. Think of how this reaction would be if, if, if someone basically says, we're all excited, let's go, but, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait. That's like telling a four-year-old, just sit still, right? So think of their reaction, because none of us like to wait, Right? But waiting is a, is a part of life because we wait, we wait in traffic. There's things we don't like to wait for. Traffic, we wait in carpool lanes, we wait in grocery store lines, we wait for the doctor, we wait for a spouse, right? We wait for a spouse to give birth to a baby. I am in that waiting season and I am done. And, and, and here's the thing, we're in this constant season of waiting in all areas of our life. And, and I mean, we're in, some of us are in waiting for retirement. Some of you are ready, and you're like, man, I want to be retired. You know, we, we have to wait for sermons to get over, right? So you have to be here in waiting. And then, and then ultimately, we're in waiting of Jesus to return. And so there's all types of seasons of waiting, but waiting on the Lord is the process of seeking out God's direction and God's will. Waiting on the Lord is, is the process of seeking out God's direction and God's will. And here's what I believe, is that what God does in us in that waiting season is as important as what we're waiting for. What God does in us in the season of waiting is as important as what we're waiting for. Because biblical waiting is not a passive waiting, right? Those that wait upon the Lord are those that work, are those that are, that are active. Because waiting is, is being confident in God, and, and it's the disciplined, expectant, and active, and even sometimes painful clinging to God. Sometimes painful. And so where we pick up with the disciples, they're sitting together with Jesus. They're having a meal. And here's where he tells them to wait very specific, specifically. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so as the disciples wait, we see that, that it wasn't just sitting around because the next thing you read in, the, in, the Acts, in Acts chapter 1 is that they appoint someone in place of Judas because Judas is no longer a disciple. And so here's these guys who are in waiting who are also working. 
And I think we have, sometimes we, we have one or the other. We have some people just sitting around, just, just waiting, and we have others that are, that are working really hard, but they're not actually waiting upon the Lord. And so I want to share with you just three things that God really convicted my heart of when, when he just led me to that, that passage in Psalm 25. Three things that, that God really laid upon my heart that I need to do, that I think we need to do when God says wait. Three things for when God says wait. And number one is trust in him. If you're taking notes, write down trust. That we would trust in him. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not part of your heart, all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. He will make straight your paths. And here's what I believe. A large portion of trust begins with influence. A large portion of trust begins with influence. So think about this. What influences you? What influences you? And, and who or what are you trusting? Right? Like, if you go on the internet right now, and you were to, if you were to type in a question about the Bible, not all of it is going to be right. Like, if that bursts your bubble, I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm not breaking the internet for you right now. But, but not everything that you go and see is going to be truth. But there's a lot of things that influence us that aren't good influences. And so I think a large portion of trust begins with influence. I mean, think about when the I-5 bridge collapsed. When the I-5 bridge collapsed and they started putting up that new space to cover that, that piece of bridge, it didn't look like the old bridge. It looked pretty different. And in fact, there weren't, there weren't the type of guardrails that were on the old bridge. And, and I remember being in a conversation with uh, in-law family and, and sharing and going, and someone saying like, oh man, that doesn't seem as safe. It doesn't seem as strong. And of course, my father-in-law, who's a welder, goes, no, it's actually stronger. And he, and he explains very simply to us how that is stronger. And I'm like, I will receive that. That is strong. And, and here's the truth. I had not driven on that bridge until he said that. Because I didn't trust anyone. Because I was going, I'm not going to let you guys influence me because someone built that with the full knowledge that they knew what they were doing and it didn't work. So I'm not sure if I'm going to let things in that influence me. And so I think when we think of trusting in the Lord, we really need to ask ourselves, what is influencing us? And, and, and do we trust God more than we trust others? Or do we trust others more than we trust God? Pastor and writer Francis Chan says, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. See, that type of trust is scary. That means removing whatever influence makes it safe because God's influence is good. It's not safe but it's good. And so we need to trust in him. The second thing is that we need to seek him continually. When we think on waiting on the Lord, it's not just something that we're gonna do where we sit and we, we cite a rehearsed prayer and then we get up and just hope that he's gonna give us a quick answer, right? It's not just the, the, uh, the car conversation from point A to point B, but it's the seeking him continually, 
In Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, can we acknowledge this for a moment, church, that Paul's writing this to a group of people. He's writing this letter to the Philippians while he's in prison. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't know about you, but I would not write to a group of people saying, don't be anxious while I'm in prison. And yet Paul continues to seek God. He continues to say, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you need to be seeking him continually. And here's, here's what I really think is important. Here's where I think seeking him becomes a game changer. Because I know for me, I could spend a couple minutes at my house in prayer, sitting on the couch, doing my best to be focused in, and then my eyes open up. I'm like, man, I should read that book. Man, I really should read that book. Oh, man, the, the uh, case needs to be dusted. And on and on we go with these distractions, right? And for me, that's how it goes. But to begin my prayer with saying, Holy Spirit, would you come dwell within me? Would you help me to seek you continually? Would you come dwell within me? Not just take part in my life. Would you consume my entire life? Because here's the thing that I think we forget is that the Holy Spirit knows where you're at. The Holy Spirit knows where you're at. I mean, for some of you, and and, and I'm not calling out anyone specific, but, but for some of you, you walk in here hoping that no one would ever know the sin that's in your closet. And can we just get real for a moment about sin? God knows it. God's not surprised by your sin, by your struggle. I mean, it's like a little kid guarding the closet going, this is where I stuffed everything in the bedroom. And, and mom, dad, just look at the bedroom, don't look at the closet. And you know everything that's in the closet. And the Holy Spirit knows that. And so seeking him continually is not about this perfect growing in God in a sense that we have to achieve perfection, but continually seeking him to constantly before, to be before his presence. And so we seek him continually. And the third, and here's where the closet door swings right open, is that we let go of control. That we let go of control. And for some of us, that's a really hard thing. For some of us, we like our control. We like what we have. We like the way we do things. And if you ever want to learn that you're a total control freak, just go get married. I'm not serious. Don't just go get married for that reason. But my point in this is that we never know how much we are in trying to be in control of something until we try to share with others. Until we completely allow ourselves to be exposed as just ourselves. And so we need to let go of control. And Jesus tells a group of people in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
Now, I, I shared this uh, a while back that I, for the longest time, I could not figure out why Jesus said, take my egg upon you. I just couldn't figure out why Jesus would care a boiled egg and use that as a message. But then as I did some study and grew up a little bit and found some things accurate on the internet, I found that, that a yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the neck of two animals or two people and attached to help carry the load. But here's the important piece. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, that means you can't be in the lead. That means you have to choose to submit. That means it forces you into the understanding that it's not about you. And so choosing to make Christ the authority over your life means that no decision, no concern, no sin is something that you try to manage. It's something that you give to God and say, you're in control. You're in control. And so as we choose to wait upon the Lord, we have to submit to him. But here's the, here's the truth of it, that, that I believe some of you are stuck that these three things I can share with you, they go in one ear, out the other. Statistically speaking, I've only effectively used five minutes of your time. The rest, you've taken a good nap. But here's what I believe. Where some of you feel stuck, you just go, so what do I do? Where do I go from here? What do I, what do, I do that I hear what you're saying, my, my mind gets it, but my heart doesn't. Like, I get where you're going with this. I know, I know I need to wait on the Lord, that you know that you need to be seeking him first, and your mind gets it. You can hear it, you can analyze it, but your heart isn't there. So what do you do when there's a gap between your head and your heart? What do you do with that? See, throughout the Bible, not just in Psalms, but throughout the entire Bible, there is this phrase, wait on the Lord. And here's what I, I think we really miss out on, is that waiting on the Lord isn't always pleasant. Waiting on the Lord is something we believe that we just sit in our, in our prayer room, in our prayer time with our coffee mug and our muffin, and we just ask God two questions, he answers us with one, and we go out from there. And there are times where we lay, wait upon the Lord, and he quickly answers us. But I think there are times where waiting on the Lord isn't pleasant, and it isn't easy. And so as we submit to Jesus, if you and I are to begin to wait upon the Lord, I think we need to understand that it's not some easy process that, that we just go home and, and, and spend 10 minutes in. And in fact, there's, a, there's another Psalm later. I'm not 42 yet, but we're going to look at Psalm 42, where David is literally in a fight with himself. David is literally in agony and one of the verses in, in Psalm 42, verse 1, is one of the most common Christian mug, knitted pillow verses ever, right? Do any of you know what that verse is? As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. Do you know what pant means, what, what that means? It's not a part of your genes. But here's the deal. Panting is a breathing that is not deep breathing. It is short breathing. It is almost, it is either in agony or in excitement. And as David writes this, we can clearly see it's not about him being excited. 
He is in agony because he realizes in the depths of his soul, he feels stuck. In the depths of his soul, he feels a disconnect. And so this, this verse about Bambi is not some cute little verse. This isn't something that Disney pulled off and then that's where we get that idea. This is something completely often taken out of context. Because David is in agony. He's not in excitement. In verse 11, you can almost picture him just crying out, saying, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Like, why don't you get it? Why don't you put your trust in God? And why are you in turmoil within me? He's literally in this fight saying, hope in God. For I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. And so David, in the midst of agony, in the midst of hardship, he chooses to wait upon the Lord. So maybe you're asking yourself, so what do I do if this is me? Maybe for you, you feel stuck this morning. And as we close, as, you, as, as maybe for you, you feel that, Here's what I want to encourage you to do. That you position yourself under the waterfall of grace. You position yourself, not, not of, of all these lists of things I think you need to do, all these things that you need to rethink, but position yourself under the waterfall of the grace of God. And you wait. You wait while you choose to walk in obedience. You wait while you choose to walk in obedience. And one day at a time, starting today, one step at a time, being honest with God. Let the closet door fling open. He's not shocked by any of it. He's not disgusted by you. He doesn't regret you. He is only in waiting for you to wait upon him. And so be honest with God, seeking him, asking him to break your heart, asking him to restore the joy of your salvation, salvation, and you wait, you wait, because God is not giving up on you. God is not giving up on you, but God is inviting you into his presence. And so waiting on the Lord is the process of pursuing his presence for his direction and his will. And here's what Isaiah 40 says about waiting upon the Lord. In verse 30 and 31, it says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. Let's pray. God, there are times in our lives where we could be asked a question and, uh, and we say, we get it. And then you ask us and we say, we don't get it. So Father, there are, there are those here, there are there are those of us that feel an agonizing disconnect. Father, I pray that those 
who would wait upon you. would just experience your grace. That it would experience your love like a, like a waterfall. I mean, God, there are those that, that feel burnt out on religion. They feel burnt out on trying to do better, try harder, and it's, and it's literally like a burned part of our flesh. It's agonizing. So, Father, would your grace come and cover over that like ointment? Father, I pray that we would be a people that chooses to wait on the Lord. That we would choose to wait upon you, that you would renew our strength. That, Lord, we would trust you that we would seek you and that we would submit to you. And it's in your wonderful, precious name, amen.